Welcome to Supply Chain Briefs, the podcast that discusses the challenges, innovations, and critical issues in today's global supply chains. I'm your host, Joseph Moretta, and thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we have special guest, Gary Smith, to discuss the Roaring 2020s, a decade of challenges and opportunities in supply chain management. Gary Smith is currently the Chief Enterprise Asset Manager in Supply Chain Management at New York City's MTA. Gary has over 40 years of experience in the industry and has earned his fellowship in CPIM, CSCP, and CLTD certifications. So without further delay, please welcome Gary Smith. Welcome, Gary. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate uh, being on the podcast today and uh, look forward to it. Of course, of course. So uh, thank you again for uh, giving some time to, to you know, speak to us. And uh, very interesting uh, topic here, Gary, uh, the Roaring 2020s, a decade of challenges and opportunities in supply chain management. I was wondering if you could just give us a, a quick overview about that, because ha- it's very intriguing. Glad to. Actually, uh, this is uh, going to be an article that I'm going to have published in Supply Chain Management Review uh, this coming November. Um, And it centers around, the premise centers around three things that, uh, three trends that I believe will be um, uh, really guiding supply chain managers uh, and, and, and fill in filling their basically their their jobs with uh, challenges as well as opportunities uh, over the next decade. Oh, wow! Um, you said three trends. Yes. Oh. Basically, what, what they are the in in you basically what they are this uh, number one is going to be the the loss of institutional knowledge as the baby boomer generation transitions. Uh, out of the workforce and into retirement. Um, The second one is that um, supply chain disruptions are now happening on the average of about one every 3.7 years. And I believe that with the changes that are going on uh, in the world and the the rapid uh, increase in uh, disruptions and, and change in general, that that is going to do nothing but increase. Finally, uh, the third change is, is, or the third trend is gonna be uh, uh, global uh, or or, uh, climate change. And that is that it's going to move from what I consider a crisis now to a real crisis, meaning all caps crisis, toward the end of the decade as we, you know, as we transition more toward that 2050 tipping point, we, we need to uh, be doing uh, a number of things all, you know, in, in companies and governments all over the world in order to uh, reduce greenhouse gases and uh, uh, make, uh, you know, try to bring us back to a more normal level of, of, of climate. Wow. Wow. So Gary, let's, uh, let's jump right into this. So the first trend that you had mentioned was the loss of institutional knowledge as the baby boomers transition into retirement. I'm curious, how do you see that happening? 
And what can companies do to prevent that loss of institutional knowledge? Well, I'm glad you asked that because there's a, there's, there's a couple of things here. And, and let me first start out by saying that, in my opinion anyway, uh, most companies do a, uh, an extremely poor job of trying to retain any knowledge uh, from people that are leaving, uh, whether they retire or whether they leave from their organization. In fact, out of nearly a dozen organizations that I've worked for over the past 40 years, I've only had one exit in interview. Now, and none of them ever asked me to put together a list of my job duties or what did I really do so that I could pass that on to the next person. Um, and while this is, you know, this that note uh, is purely anecdotal, uh, my research in the field shows that, uh, that while the number of logistics jobs are growing, uh, and there are currently six logistics jobs for every qualified applicant, and that 77% of the firms that uh, I've seen surveys of um, uh, anticipate they will continue to have difficulties in filling future positions. Uh, over two thirds of companies haven't really even analyzed their workforce. Uh, to determine who's eligible for retirement. Wow. Basically, basically they've got their blinders on. And uh, each, you know, each day, uh, their most valuable assets, uh, meaning their employees, walk out the door and more and more of them are not coming back. So over the course of the next decade, the workforce is going to lose lose the entire baby boom generation. That's nearly 79 million people to retirement. You know, the last boomers will be reaching full retirement age about 2031. Um, and this is the generation, you know, this is the generation that really created supply chain management. And I'm, I'm looking at this from a supply chain manager point of view, but it, it can be looked at from a general point of view as well. But I mean, this is the generation that experienced an unprecedented wave of change, you know, from the invention of the integrated circuit to the birth and expansion of the internet. Uh, when, when they leave, they'll be taking billions of years of experience with them, as well as their historical perspective. Right. And, and, and what that means is, you know, the historical perspective allows a, a person not only to be able to tell you what happened, but really why it happened. And um, so, you know, to answer the second part of your question, there are a number of ways that organizations can minimize the loss of institutional knowledge. Uh, and the main thing that they can do is create a knowledge transfer initiative. And what that is, is um, first, you know, each area within the organization needs to identify the functional jobs in that area. They then need to determine what jobs, which what parts of those jobs are considered routine and what, what parts are considered specialized and critical. Uh, training for, uh, for the routine jobs is, is you know, your normal training process, et cetera. But when you get to the, the critical side, which is the part that most people forget about, uh, that requires special training that may include having the incumbent provide a narrative of what they do and how they do it, as well as working 
possibly directly with that person and allowing the, the, the new person to shadow them, uh, you know, wherever possible. And a lot of companies don't do that. A lot of companies, you know, let one person go before they bring the next person on. And while that may be great budget wise, it doesn't help them when it comes to the fact that, you know, uh, Mary did this particular job. And oh, by the way, when she walked out the door, there's nobody to tell you how she did that. Right. Okay? And, and that may only happen, that may be a critical job that only happens a couple of times that they do a couple of times a year, but it is a key job. And what that means is you really have to, it requires companies sometimes to have to, you know, reinvent the wheel and go back and say, okay, now we got to learn this again. What does that do to the person that um, uh, that that is learning that job? They feel they they you know they're making mistakes. They're uh, uh, re, you know they're they're failing. They're not doing as well there, and it reduces their productivity. And so you know it's it's a it's a negative thing, and you know it 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 doesn't help the the, the overall process at all. So, you know, so that knowledge uh, uh, preservation, uh, also what you can do is, you know, you can look at it and you can streamline processes by using, by, by uh, subjecting it to uh, that processes to lean um, and six, six Sigma tools to ensure uh, that waste uh, is, is minimized. Right. That's very interesting, um, and and uh, it's definitely something that companies need to actually look at as part of their processes because they if they lose that knowledge, then they're causing a disruption in their own processes. Um, yeah. It causes delays, and then it it will trickle down eventually to the customer because they're eventually the ones that are going to be feeling that that pain. Um, so that, that's very that's very interesting, and it kind of leads us into. Um, the next top, the next trend that you mentioned, which is the increase in the frequency and severity of supply chain disruptions. So when you mention that, can you give us some insights on how these disruptions will uh, not increase and, and what the, the impact will be? Okay. Well, they will increase. That's, right. that's, that's my contention. But the thing is, is this is okay. Uh, let me tell you why. Um, first of all, um, according to McKinsey, supply chain disrupt, disruptions that really impact a company's supply chain for at least a month occur on the, on the average of once every 3.7 years. Uh, now, these disruptions can be uh, due to nature, such as uh, hurricanes and snowstorms and, you know, uh, things like that. Um, or they can be uh, caused by humans, uh, whether that, and that could be uh, new products or it could be a, a fire in a, where, in, a, in a warehouse. It could be a no, number of different things. But anyway, it's, it's a major disruption. And so, but right now, and, you know, most of these disruptions are uh, short-term in duration. Um, it used to be the most natural disruptions were, you know, happened and then you were back to normal in less than a week. But um, 
now we're starting to see, and this kind of falls into uh, number three, which we'll talk about in, in a few minutes, but um, you know, we, can now, we now see blizzards, hurricanes, and earthquakes and wildfire, wildfires that result in disruptions that are lasting much longer. I mean, look at the, the situation in, in Texas last year with the freeze and, you know, causing uh, power outages, you know, over the entire state. Mm-hmm. That went on for, for nearly a month. Um, totally, you know, uh, trashed their economy. And, you know, also, you know, and I hate to pick on Texas, but unfortunately they were the ones, but, you know, where, you know, they, they had those uh, several hurricanes that just hung over Houston and, you know, in, in, the, in the coast and caused like massive flooding for, for weeks at a time. So things like that are, are happening also, you know, then of course, you know, we, we've got COVID and that's a worldwide pandemic that, you know, is not going away anytime soon. Right. I said, but the, and the, and the major reason now, now flipping over to the man-made side, main main reason for man-made disruptions is the rate of change, and you know the current rate of change is is increasing exponentially. Much much of the uh, change, much of this change is a result of disruptive companies, products, and concepts. So, for example, disruptive companies, um, you know, we've we've got Uber, Airbnb, Amazon. Tesla, Apple, they have changed their products and they have created new products that have totally upended, you know, the economy. Um, and disruptive, disruptive products, for example, driverless cars, 3D printers, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, smartphones, mm-hmm. and, you know, even disruptive concepts such as dig- digitization, automation, climate change, e-commerce, globalization, all those things are, you know, uh, conspiring to add to the disruptive, uh, you know, the man-made disruptions. And I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, we've been dealing with change since the dawn of time. Of course. And the, the clear majority of it has been made from uh, at a generational pace that people can absorb. So, I mean, you know, from the dawn of time until, uh, you know, we've discovered fire, how to replicate it, uh, Mm -hmm. the invention of the wheel, domestication of animals, all this kind of stuff happened slowly and people could absorb it and then they could pass it on to their, their children, et cetera. Then all of a sudden, you know, in 1769, James Watt invented the modern steam engine and totally upended everything. Um, this is this is now referred to as we call it Industry 1.0, the Industrial Revolution. Absolutely. Followed by um, Industry 2.0, which was electrification. Industry 3.0, which was uh, the widespread use of uh, computers, and now. Um, we're in industry 4.0, which is characterized by automated systems, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, wireless networks, et cetera. So what's really changed now is that the rate of change has gone from generational to exponential. Um, The uh, uh, 
change is happening faster. And what's happening is it's happening. Change is happening faster than most humans can process. And in fact, you know, any human, I mean, you know, yeah. keep up with the rate of change right now. And, and you may be good at one thing, but you're, you know, you're totally lacking in, a, in other areas. Um, and what this does is though, is creates tremendous frustration as people struggle to understand, you know, the, you know, changes in their implications. And it's added a new acronym to our vocabulary, VUCA, which is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Right. This is really the downside of progress. I mean, over the next decade, many jobs will simply cease to exist, um, requiring those affected to be trained in the new jobs. And, you know, I, I came across a study from the World, World Economic Forum that estimates that uh, 85 million jobs will be lost between now and 2025. Wow. At the same time, we're going to be creating 97 million more jobs. So there's a net increase of 12 million there. But what this does is it makes a real case for, you know, retraining and reskilling of your workforce. Uh, as things happen and, and uh, you know, which means, you know, for supply chain people, you know, if, you know, if you already, you know, if it's a, it's a great time to, uh, you know, get uh, APIC certifications, credentials or certificates, mm-hmm. even if you already have an APIC certification, make sure that it's current because the requirements are changing for that. And right. so, you know, um, but, you know, and it's so this rate of change is just incredible. In fact, you know, did you know that, for example, the um, the companies on the Fortune 500 list in 1955 of those companies, there are only 52 that are still there and that were still there in 2017. Wow. You know, that's let that's just a little over 10 percent. And this was a pre-COVID disruption. And, you know, you know I, I imagine that's dropped a little bit since then. But, you know, so, but I, you know, I really believe the both uh, natural and man-made disruptions will increase. Uh, and probably, you know, my guess is, you know, and I, I'm just guessing, but I mean, I really feel like it could really increase as much as 30%. So that wow. means 3.7 years could go down to two, you know, like two and a half. You know, so, you know, that means your disruptions are happening quickly, you know, faster and faster and faster. And so to minimize confusion and frustration, um, organizations will need to manage and lead change uh, management that lead change management efforts, you know, because, you know, let's face it, nobody really likes change. Right. But in order for us to realize, you know, for us to progress as a civilization and even, and for our companies to survive and, and, and grow or, you know, and much less, you know, and even survive, we've got to change and change must be a constant in our lives. However, what this, what change has to be is viewed as more of an opportunity instead of a threat. Um, the sad fact is that um, 70% of change efforts Fail to see their the full benefits their full benefits realized. Wow, so it really so, seems yeah. that 
as uh, change increases and the rate that change increases, um, the, the severity of these just disruptions are going to increase as well. Um, so that, and really yeah. companies need to manage, um, kind of be forward looking mm-hmm. and, and kind of almost predict the future and position themselves so that they can endure uh, whatever these changes are coming and position this so they can be a little bit more agile, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, and so, but, you know, think of this. I mean, let me ask you, um, when change is introduced into an organization, what is the first thing that workers think of uh, that are, you know, if they're, if they're going to be affected by the change? What's the first thing that comes to their mind? Uh, resistance and, you know, Oh, is someone going to get fired? Yeah. What is, what, you know, will I have a job when this is implemented? Right. And, and this is, you know, this, this leads to, as you said, you know, this leads to fear, rumors, disengagement, uh, work strife, resignations, work slowdowns, and even sabotage. I've, I've seen, you know, situations where workers actually, um, um, you know, using, you know, because they were given, you know, given handhelds to use in, in, uh, in, and we're training on them, you know, actually broke them, you know, came back to, oh, this thing, it's, this thing broke, it's no good, you know, right. I can't. and, you know, so, but, um, so we've, organization uh, need to find ways to change this type of thinking. I mean, we've got to get away from this because what hap- what's happening is people are thinking, you know, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. Whereas what we need to do as organizations and as as change management leaders, uh, instead of workers worrying about if they're going to have a job, the focus should be, first of all, there should be a no layoff policy when they're they're instituting a change. And I say that because, you know, the chances are you're going to have some people retire anyway over the next you know, a couple of years. And two, if you're able to realize the benefits of that change, you should be able to uh, expand your business such that you need more people. Okay. So that's right. one, you know, you have a no layoff policy. Two, uh, how your job, you know, you need to talk, tell, talk to them and tell them, you know, how their job is going to be enhanced and made easier you know, by implementing this change, okay? And also you need to, you know, focus on how you're going to receive additional training and skills uh, to raise, you know, and, 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 and possibly, you know, and, you know, the, the goal is, you know, uh, give them a raise if, if they're, as the productivity rises. Right. And this is, this is going to require a change of mindset and a culture shift in a lot of organizations, but, if the improvements are sought and they're, re- they're realized, shouldn't there be some sort of uh, reward, you know, and, you know, to the people that are actually doing the job? Absolutely. So, so yeah, so the, definitely you can see how that's going to play a major part um, as, as this, as this uh, kind of progresses and these disru- disruptions increase um, as time goes on, as these innovations roll out. Um, you know, the third trend that you mentioned, and I'm really curious about this one, 
is climate change and how it's going to shift from a quote unquote lowercase crisis to an uppercase crisis. And I was hoping you could uh, unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by an uppercase crisis? Well, that's a, a real good question. And, and, and uh, you know, looking at it, you know, you, since the beginning, okay, since the beginning of Industry 1.0, we've been pouring greenhouse gases, you know, primarily CO2 and methane into the atmosphere at, you know, increasing rates. Mm. You know, now we're now adding like 51 billion tons of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere each year. What we need to do in, you know, uh, uh, is by 2050, we need to reduce this, the, this 51 billion tons of greenhouse gases per year to zero. Wow. And, you know, the problem is that uh, only part of these greenhouse gases come from fossil fuels. Okay. Okay. So just to give you an idea, okay, one of the, the, the biggest greenhouse gas emitted, uh, you know, emissions come from making cement, steel, and plastic primarily. Okay. okay. So as we're making cement, we're creating greenhouse gases. As we're making steel and, you know, uh, the steel, key ingredient in steel is coke okay coke is coal that's you know to make coal you know it's 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 burnt burned coal and mm-hmm. that primarily you know it's releasing tons of greenhouse gases um the the next thing is you know electricity that's used you know that we plug into right our computers our lights or you know etc uh Another thing that we, you know, uh, where we have a lot of greenhouse gases is in growing things, uh, plants and animals. I mean, you know, the, the way we currently farm and the, when we clear land, we are um, releasing methane into the atmosphere as, as we uh, break open that, you know, the, that earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, as we're growing um, meats like chicken, uh, beef, uh, uh, pork, uh, right. All of that. Those those animals release methane into the atmosphere, and it believe it or not, it's it's like twenty percent of the greenhouse gases emitted is from growing things. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, and then another sixteen percent, for example, comes from from just getting around, which is planes, trucks, cargo ships, etc. Right. And uh, another 7% comes from uh, trying to keep warm and cool, you know, heating and cooling and refrigeration. So, you know, the, you know, what you can, uh, you can see that we're not able to even, uh, not able to reach our goal if we just concentrate solely on uh, transitioning from fossil fuels to green energy, you know, you you know, but, um, uh, and even if we transitioned, 100% 100% to 100% green energy, if we don't make other improvements, such as in energy storage you know, and, and distribution, we're going to fall short because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So hmm. when 
you know, we need to store this stuff. And it's very, very expensive to store, you know, using current battery, you know, battery power, et cetera. And um, so we need to make strides in improving the technology to reduce the carbon footprint for concrete and steel. And we need to invest in technology to improve our processes so that we can uh, manufacture material uh, while minimizing greenhouse gases. I mean, I'm, I'm reading now about uh, uh, steel and concrete that are, you know, that are made with uh, much less greenhouse gases. I'm also seeing where uh, they're making inroads into uh, uh, jet fuel that is uh, made with recycled uh, oils and, and et cetera, and which is wow. like 50 to 60 percent uh, reduction in greenhouse gases. Wow. Um, so it, it really does sound like with all these innovations and all these issues, it also, in a weird way, it's presenting us with a lot of opportunity. So we're, we have an opportunity now to really look at these um, uh, topics and, 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 and issues and say, what can be done to mitigate and how do we position ourselves so that, as you mentioned, we can hit that 20, um, uh, two, two, uh, 2050 year mark uh, to reduce these emissions. Um, so, you know, it really does sound like uh, we have an opportunity here. Um, I'm, you know, we are running a little bit out of time here, Gary. So I do want to try to wrap things up. But I was wondering if you can kind of speak toward, towards that and give us some kind of closing remarks. Okay. Well, um, there's basically there's I've got about 10 things and I'll try to make them real quick uh, as far as uh, that supply chain professionals can do to minimize uh, climate change in their companies. Um, number one, work to make climate change a strategic imperative in your company. Uh, number two, calculate your company's carbon footprint. And there's a number of different places that you can go out on the internet to, to, to get calculators to be able to do that. Um, number three, if you've got a private fleet, uh, whether that's delivery trucks or company cars, et cetera, consider going, uh, uh, transitioning those uh, to either electric or hybrid vehicles. Okay. Uh, number four, improve your packaging. Uh, packaging is one of the greatest polluters for landfills. And you know, by reducing the amount of packaging, you can, you can do a couple of things. One, you can... Um, uh, save the landfill, but two, you might be able to actually get more product uh, into your into your trucks, uh, so that you can actually uh, uh, you know reduce your your the cost overall. Um, work with your suppliers to uh, to come up with um, uh, in packaging improvements, etc. Uh, number five is consolidate your shipments. Manage both the inbound and outbound transportation. Uh, and whenever possible, consolidate parcel to LTL and LTL to full truckload. Hmm. Uh, this saves, you know, cost of fuel, cost of delivery, uh, labor costs, et cetera, and all the double handling. Um, right. Number six is shorten your supply chain wherever you can. Um, so in example, for example, um, 
The, uh, mo did you know that most food in the United States travels about 2,000 miles? Wow. And apparel such as jeans travel as much as 40,000 miles uh, in their journey from uh, uh, cotton to, uh, uh, to the store uh, or to your home. And wow. uh, here's, here's an interesting one. The typical iPhone has traveled the equivalent of a round trip to the moon and back before it was purchased. So wow. the, the problem there is, you know, by, by looking at things and, and possibly looking at uh, shortening your supply chains, regionalizing, uh, nearshoring, uh, reshoring, et cetera, uh, you can save, um, save a lot of, uh, of, of money as well as uh, reducing your carbon footprint. Uh, number seven is uh, if you if you do uh, international shipments and if you ship via uh, uh, via uh, ship, uh, utilize uh, slow steaming, which means you know slowing down your the ship actually saves fuel and uh, you know wow. reduces the carbon footprint. Um, overall. You can in, inside a warehouse, inside operations is, is to uh, uh, consume less energy, you know, to put together an ener energy management system in your in your warehouses to manage though, you know, the electrical processes and, and minimize uh, your energy usage. Uh, also switch to wherever possible renewable energy sources. Uh, most warehouses um, are flat roofs. If you could if you can invest in uh, uh, solar panels, uh, a lot of companies offset uh, a significant part of their, their uh, 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 energy costs by, uh, by minimizing, um, uh, by using uh, uh, solar power. And, and finally, utilize, if you're building a new building, for example, utilize green, uh, green building practices. Um, look at, you know, uh, steel and concrete that have uh, uh, used, that are manufactured using less uh, greenhouse gases um, and, and also natural of cooling and heating your, your facilities. Because, um, you know, ultimately, I said, you know, ultimately the next decade is going to be challenging mm -hmm. to supply chain professionals, but it'll also be a decade of tremendous opportunity. Right. While the issues may be overwhelming, uh, seem overwhelming, they're really, they're not. Human beings really have uh, capacity to work uh, while they have the capacity to work in their own self-interest. When they're pushed, they have an amazing capacity to work together for the common good. Um, I believe technology and believe in technology and believe in capitalism and believe that both can be used to combat climate change and that technology is really the answer. Yeah. You know, I think um, if you look over, um, you know, just the span of human existence, the one thing that has been consistent over all periods of time is perseverance. Humans have, have always persevered every challenge, every obstacle. Um, you know, we, you know, we, we're, we're experiencing new challenges every day. And as you mentioned earlier, and what we learned today is that those challenges are coming at a much faster rate. 
Um, mm -hmm. And because of that, we're going to need to kind of realign and figure, refigure things out to better position ourselves. Uh, so, Gary, let, I want let me let me let me finish by saying by adding just one last thing. It was a, of course uh, uh, a quote uh, by the environmentalist uh, Rob Watson. Um, he said uh, he said this. You may have heard this, but he said this. He said Mother Nature is just chemistry, biology, and physics. That's all she is. You cannot spin her. You cannot tell her that the oil companies say climate change is a hoax. No, mother nature is going to do whatever chemistry, biology and physics dictate. And mother nature always bats last and she always bats a thousand. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, definitely gonna be a challenge and we're definitely gonna have to make some changes. But uh, Gary, I really do wanna thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us, uh, definitely a lot of information. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that there's gonna be an article regarding this topic coming out. I think you said around November time, is that correct? Yes, uh, the November issue of Supply Chain Management Review. Okay, perfect. And uh, people will be able to find it there? Yes. Awesome, awesome. So definitely uh, be on the lookout for that article coming out. Gary, once again, I do wanna thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody listening to Supply Chain Breeze, my name is Joseph Moretta, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Gary, you have a wonderful day, and thank you again. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Gary. Have a good one.